This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. John chapter 1 verse 14. We're going to get dive right into the middle of things. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to speak to you this morning on the word became flesh. How are you feeling, Terry? Strong? Okay. The Word became flesh. I want to speak about the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. God believed in you so much that He entrusted you with a very special gift called the prerogative of making choice. You have the right to choose the life that you want to live, and He will honor that. You have the prerogative of choosing whether you want God in your life or not. Buddy, can you just pull this back a little bit, please? You have the prerogative of choosing whether you want God in your life or not and the degree to which you want God in your life. You can elect that God is not part of your life and you can leave him out of your life. And God will honor that. We have an incredibly powerful tool at our disposal called our choice. The thing about it is, any time that we move to a place where God entrusts us with privilege, it comes with responsibility. You don't get to enjoy the privilege without the responsibility that goes with it. The thing is, he says to you, I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. What would you like to choose? So he puts the, the onus and the responsibility back on us. But he says, you're the one who's going to, who's going to elect what your life looks like. You, the one who gets to choose that. What we choose to do defines how it is that we're going to live. There is a responsibility and a consequence to the choices that we make, good or bad. So we want to make good choices. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> Kathy and I do, there are two of us. We want to make good choices. We want to make good choices. Your choices have more to do with the life that you lead than sometimes we realize. And if we maybe spend more time considering the value and the implications of the choices we make, we may make some slightly different ones. The thing about it is, the way that God works with us is different to the way that Satan works with us. God works from the inside out. Satan works from the outside in. So when you get together with God, God says to you, he's, the, the thing about God is that he's incredibly powerful, but he's so simple. God says, you know what? I'll give you my word and take my word and use it as the foundation of your life. Bang, finished, clean cut, all the rest of it. The challenge that we have is that we're navigating something called a real experience every day in life. And all too often what we do is we're not as discriminating as we should be. And so what happens is in the circumstances and the situations that we encounter, we give them the prerogative of having influence in our life as opposed to recognizing the need for us to have influence over them. And so the result of giving them that prerogative means that they start to define who we are, which God never intended. Let me give you an example. Carter, a few weeks ago, was having a big issue in math. Now, Carton and Colton are different. Colton 
sees absolutely no point in going to school if it wasn't for Jim. <laughs> Colton told us that he's very excited about going to Virginia Tech. And so we were thrilled that he had this kind of aspiration. And so we asked him what he planned on studying and what he wanted to become. And he said, no, I'm not going there to study. I'm going there to play football. So he set us all straight. He loves his sport. That's his. But Carter is, he's the thinker. He's the one who's very diligent and he loves school because he loves being stimulated and he loves the challenge and he loves the newness and he loves all the fresh information that comes in. And he was going through math and they introduced him to a whole new concept on stuff. And he looked at this and he was like, I have no clue what's happening. Now, there is an intensity to Carter that you have to manage carefully. And so when he got home, he started going through his stuff and he started going through his work and he started looking at it and it was like, I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that and that doesn't work out and I don't understand why this is like this and da, 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 da. And eventually it reached the point where he said, you know what my problem is? He said, I'm just not good at math. That's one of those times where you need to recognize your role as a parent. The point of that is this. In every situation and circumstance that we go through in life, or many of the bigger challenges that we go through in life, we have to be discriminating and we have to be at a place where we're able to recognize whether it is a challenge to my ability or whether it's an attack on my identity. You see, if we just leave the door open, we put ourselves in a vulnerable place where we end up in a compromised position. There's a difference between the two. Things aren't always easy in life. There's a big, deep revelation. Things are not always easy in life, but it doesn't mean that you're bad at it. Yes, it's a challenge. Yes, it may be a concept that perhaps you haven't got just yet. Perhaps it's something that is new to you and fresh. Maybe you have to put in the extra energy. Maybe you have to go and sit with somebody and say, explain it to me for the umpteenth time. Maybe you have to read through your textbook again. But whatever it needs to be, the point of it is this. When you recognize that it's nothing more than a challenge to my ability, you can put in whatever's necessary to be able to overcome that obstacle and move to a different place. But when you see it as an assault on your identity, that becomes very different because then I allow the circumstance and the situation to have access to who I am and it starts to give definition to my identity. And it translates into, I'm not good at math. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everything in our lives that moves us to a place of liberation, everything that comes into our life that moves us to a place where we're able to break free of shackles and move into what God's design is for our life is good and is going to come from truth. Anytime we find ourselves at a place where our life becomes more restrictive and is inhibited as a result of beliefs that we've got, what we've done is we've digested something called a lie. I'll tell you what the problem with lies is. When we digest something called an untruth or a lie, it injects something called, that is toxic into our belief system. And so what ends up happening is the substance of things that I anticipate is outside of God's design. I'm expecting to have a limited experience because of the untruth that I've let come into my life and define my belief system. When I let it into my belief system, what it ends up doing is it gives me license to live a compromised life. 
well, I don't really want to go into careers like that because I'm not good at math. Well, I don't really expect to do particularly well and get a good grade this year in math because I'm not good at math. I'm using a very simple example, but life is full of challenges like that. Very often life will come up and what ends up happening is, I thought that things would work out differently, but they didn't work out the way that they did. So I wonder whether God's word is really true or not. Can I depend on it or can't I? I love God. I'm sure he's good, but I'm not sure that he's always going to do that kind of stuff for me. I don't feel like I am righteous. I don't feel as though I'm good. And so the thing is that I think that God is punishing me for who I am. Anytime we let something into our lives that is not truth, it puts us into a place where we're believing something that is outside of God's context. And essentially what we're doing is we're positioning our lives in a place called unbelief. And because we live in unbelief, we put ourselves at a place where we're compromised and not able to walk into everything that God has for us. What you believe doesn't have to be true to become a belief. I'm not good at math. It doesn't have to be true. What gives a belief power is the believer. What gives the belief power is what I elect to believe. If I believe that I'm not a good person, everybody around me may sit and look at it and sit and say, well, I think you're fabulous. But it doesn't matter because it's empowered in my life because I believe it. And as long as I believe it, it'll be a reality in my life. The challenge with it is this. When I start to believe certain things, even untruths, I start to step into a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not a good husband. If I'm not a good husband, I can behave the way that I behave because I don't expect to be a good husband. And the result of it is that it causes more conflict and issues in my relationship. And then I turn around and say, but I told you because I'm not a good husband. I live from unbelief. I put it into my situation. It doesn't work out the way that I expect. And I use it as an affirmation of my unbelief. I didn't study hard for the math test because I'm not really good at math. So I didn't do particularly well, but I didn't do well because I told you I'm not good at math. What gives our beliefs life and power in our life is the believer. What we believe is powerful. So it gets us to a place where we start to have a look at something where God talks about the power of agreement. Why is the power of agreement important? Because God's sitting saying is, I understand the belief in your life. And the, the power in your life is linked to your beliefs. And if you can link your beliefs to who I am, my power and your power can come together and do something in your life. The power of agreement between you and God is, power than, is stronger than the power of agreement between anything else. The thing about it is God's life dwells on the inside of us when you get born again. And what he's always trying to do is he's trying to take that part of who you are and he's trying to introduce it to the way that we live, our heart, the way that we think. And what he's saying is when my truth becomes a reality in your belief system, the two of us can come together as one and all things are possible to him who believes. The power of agreement is incredible. First Peter 5 verse 8 says, I sold the first services. It says, be sober. 
appropriate for Sunday morning. And be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about seeking whom he may devour. The thing about it is, Satan's not that smart. But there is a little bit of smartness to him. The point is this. He wants to use circumstances and situations to affect you and what you're all about. It's easier for him to take a situation and introduce you to an untruth that contaminates your belief system that you will live out of for the rest of your life as opposed to having to bring obstacles into your life with regularity. If I can contaminate your water system at the beginning, you will live with that forever. And you will always live a compromised life outside of God's design. So he's using situations. The challenge that we have is we fall into something called deception. Deception, and what makes it powerful, is the fact that we don't always recognize deception. Well, you don't recognize it. That's the whole point of deception. You deceived into something. You deceived into a belief thing that you've taken and you've applied and you've injected into yourself. And suddenly you're sitting there saying, well, this is defining who I am. It's not true, but I gave it power because I believe it. What we believe becomes so important. What we believe becomes so fundamental because it puts us as a place where we're either positioned to work with God or we're not. Sometimes we want to know where God is in our life. We want to know why things happen the way that they do. We're trying to get understanding and we're trying to comprehend why situations aren't the way that we anticipate or expect that they should be. And I want to hopefully address some of that with the next point. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God is busy in the process. He's just created man. And he starts speaking to man. And what he's going to do is he's going to give man a design for his life. And God speaks to, and, and, and it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. What's really important about this verse is to understand this. God is having a look at his design for mankind. And God's saying, my design for you is to reign and rule. That's what he wants you to do. Have dominion. The thing is, I can't tell you to reign and rule something unless I give you something to reign and rule. So what God's saying is, my intention is for you to reign and rule. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to give you this thing called earth for you to reign and rule. You are to have dominion over it. God used his power. He took his power and the right to have authority and control over the world. And he gave it to mankind. And he said, you take it and you run it. Psalms chapter 115 verse 16 says, the heaven, even the heavens belong to the Lord. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The earth belongs to us. God gave it to mankind. What he was saying was, you need a place to rule and reign. There is a kingdom for you. You take it, you rule it, and you reign in that place. It's interesting because what God really did is, because of the words that he had spoken and because of what he had put into operation, he really put himself in a limited capacity to have influence over the earth. He gave it to you. He gave it to me. He took He put limitations on himself and what he was able to do. Why? Because he spoke it into existence. And anything that he speaks into existence, Psalm 138 verse 2 says, God exalts his word above his name. What he's saying is, 
I will honor my word above everything else. You can always rely on my word because I will never, never let my word down. And so in the situation where he said to man, I want for you to have dominion over the earth. And he gave us to run the earth. What he did is he put himself in a limited capacity. It starts to explain something and give us some understanding as to the way that God operates in the earth. It starts to give us an indication as to why when we're just waiting for God to arrive, he doesn't just arrive. We think that God should just appear in places. We think that God should just make changes happen. We think that God should be intervening in here, there, and the next thing. The problem with it is we having an expectation of God, but God is sitting saying, where have you introduced me? I can't just behave any way I want to behave. What he wants to do is he has to work through mankind. He has to partner with us in some way to have influence. That's why Jesus had to come to earth. Otherwise, Jesus never had to come. God could have just spoken things into existence and had influence over the world. Why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? Because he had given, God had given mankind dominion over the earth. What it means is this. When God works with us and God partners with us, God is sitting saying, I have an avenue through which I'm able to have influence into the world. And as a result of that, what he's looking to do is he's looking to work through our lives. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we kind of, we, we quite small in the way that we approach things. We want to have a look at where I am and what I'm dealing with and what I'm challenged with and what I'm facing. And perhaps what God is saying to us is this, because I'm wanting to work through you, I need for you to elevate your expectations. I want you to raise your eyes. Don't be limited to where you are in your happiness and what makes me rise and give me a good job. And then what he's saying is that's fine. That may be a starting point so that the two of us can get to a place where we have a happy working arrangement, where you begin to understand who I am and how I work and how I operate. But the expectation is something much more elevated than that. The expectation is I want to use you to have influence in the earth. Sometimes I think we limit God because we're sitting having a look at God in terms of our small scope of things and God sitting saying, but what about the rest of the civilization? God wants to use it to have influence. God got hold of a man called Moses and he said to Moses, fine, if you prepare to partner with me, what I'll do is this. You go and you speak to governments and you will have influence. You go and you call nations out and you take them to a new place. What? It was a result of God partnering together with man. When God partnered together with Paul and Silas, all of a sudden, because of the partnership and what God was doing with them, there was an outflow of God from their life. And what ended up happening is they developed a reputation. And so people said, those two guys, those guys who turned the world upside down, they're coming here also. What can God do through your life? God's looking for opportunity. He is looking for a springboard to get and have influence in the world. We look at where we find ourselves in America today. And we sit there thinking, well, God's going to do something. God's not going to do anything. God is waiting for the church to introduce him into situations. God doesn't have the prerogative of just sitting saying, you know what? I'm just going to arbitrarily do this, that, and the next thing. He's looking for the church to wake up and for the church to realize that we are his hands and feet in the earth. And God is looking for, to, for the ability to be able to use the church to have influence. And hopefully the church wakes up before it's too late. 
and the church in America in 10 years' time turns around and says, I don't like the fact that I've got to raise my kid in a society that looks like this. But it looks like that because we didn't have influence. Things don't just happen. God doesn't just appear and things randomly happen. God works through people. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have a very limited view and a a limited scope. Is the heat on in here? Or is it just me? It's, sure. I think I lost a couple of pounds already. Can we turn that down? It's really hot in here. What was I talking about? God says, we have such limited scope of words. We use words because I want to tell you about what I think. I use words because I want to communicate an idea to you. I use words because I want to give you access to who I am so that you can begin to have an appreciation for what I'm all about. I use words as as a vehicle to, to convey sentimentality to you and emotion. We use words for different things. In essence, we use words as containers. The thing is, God uses words as conveyors of power. God and his word are one. What he's saying is this. Every time I speak, a part of my nature is given expression. And if you grab hold of that word, the point of it is to give you an understanding and a comprehension as to who I am. But realize this, that the life is in the word itself. He likens his word to a seed. What he's saying is, if you will grab hold of my words, what will happen is the life that's on the inside of it like a seed will begin to germinate and begin to grow. God's words are power-based. God's words are designed to have influence. God sitting saying, I want to be part of the earth. I want to have influence in the earth. My intention was always to be in relationship with mankind. So he's having a look and he's saying, how do I get back into the earth? How do I have influence with mankind once again? And he finds a little girl called Mary. And he says, Mary, I got an idea. Do you want to know what I think? What do you think about the idea that you and me get together and we birth something new? And Mary says, so be it unto me. And what we find is John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. God took who he was and he said, I'm trying to find a carrier. I'm trying to find a gateway and access into the world. And when he got hold of Mary, what he was able to do is take who he was, wrap it in flesh and introduce it to the world. It was legal. It was legitimate. And it had influence. had influence. And we beheld his glory as that of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. What does it mean? It means when Jesus walked around, people said, wow, who are you? Are you a great prophet? What's it about you that's so different? How is it that you're able to do all of these things? Why do you live off a base of compassion and understanding? Why is it that you're able to read people's mail? How is it that you're able to touch people's lives in ways? How is it that you're able to do the miraculous and all of those things? And he said, it's because of the glory. It's because of what's inside of me. What is he saying? It's the word. When Jesus was getting ready to go and get crucified, what did he say? He's sitting there and he's agonizing over where he has to go because he knows what the future looks like. 
And he says, not my will, but thine be done. What is he doing? He's delineating the, the, the reality and the fact that I am the word made flesh. There are two parts here. And my flesh has got a whole lot to say about what the future is going to look like. But so does the word on the inside of me. And he said, I've got to make a choice as to which way I'm going. And what characterized Jesus' life was that he lived from a platform of obedience. Not my will, but thine be done. What is he saying? The word takes preeminence. The word takes preeminence. The word on the inside of me gives definition to what my future looks like, to who I am, and to how I step into that. Jesus, the people looked at Jesus' life and they said, how is it that you're able to do these incredible things? How is it that you're so different to everybody else? And what did he say in John chapter 14, verse 10? It's not me that does the works. It's the Father inside of me that does the work. It's the second part of the verse. Well, here's the paraphrased version. I am the word made flesh. It's not the flesh part of me that's doing anything. It's the word inside of me that does the works. That's what he was saying. Jesus recognized the importance of who he was and fundamentally putting preeminence and elevating the importance of the word on the inside of him. And because of that, he lived from that platform. It gave definition to his, who he was and it informed his life. Here's the point. Jesus became the firstborn man amongst many brethren. Do you know what that means? It means I was the word made flesh. The point of it is this. I'm going to go and die because I want you to become the word made flesh and to dwell among them. What he's saying is, I'm not just looking at me. I'm trying to model for you what it is to be the word made flesh so that you look at me and you understand what that is and how to live that way. But what he's inviting us into is to live in the same way as him, as the word made flesh that dwells amongst humanity and has influence amongst humanity. When we get to that place, that's why God invites us into a place of obedience. What he says is, you, you think that I'm peculiar because I have to make a call between my flesh and the word on the inside of me. You think that I'm unusual because I have to sit and say, no longer my will but thine be done. What I'm trying to model for you is what a life of obedience looks like. What I'm trying to model for you is if you can connect with the reality that the word is on the inside of you, that it's no longer you who live, but Christ who dwells in you. If you can connect with that reality, what it'll introduce you to is the fact that it's, no, it's not me that does the works. It is the word on the inside of me that does this. That's what changes our life. It's not the flesh. It's the word on the inside. It's the word on the inside. In the Old Testament, when God called you to be king, or as a prophet, or as a priest, what he did is he sent somebody to you. And they would speak over you and they would say, God has recognized the call in your life. And God is anointing you to fulfill that purpose in your life. They did it with David. They did it with Saul. They it's, the Old Testament is replete with it. 
This is the point. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes to John to get baptized. And John baptizes him. And when Jesus comes out of the water, it says the spirit fell on him. The anointing came on him, which anointed the word as king. It was a recognition, an open recognition. God has ordained the Christ. And from that moment on, Jesus' life was never the same because he walked into the fulfillment of who he was, the anointed one. Up until that point, there's no record of any miracles in Jesus' life until the spirit and the anointing came upon him. What did the spirit and the anointing come upon? Not my flesh, the word on the inside of me. It came upon the word that was on the inside of him. And what was the result of that? Things began to happen in his life. All of a sudden, he could move into places where he would speak and storms would listen to him. All of a sudden, he'd be able to grab hold of five loaves and a couple of fishes and feed 5,000 people. He'd be able to speak to a dead man who's been lying in a tomb for three days, and all of a sudden, Lazarus would come out. What is it about? It was about the fact that the spirit and the anointing was on the word on the inside of him. And as he lived from that place, and as he spoke from that place, and as he acted from that place, things happened. The point about being anointed as king and as a and as representing that to the world was sitting saying, this is the king. The king is the one who has authority. The king is the one who has power. Where did that come from? It came from the anointing from the Holy Spirit. It was on the word. It wasn't on the flesh. The point is this. The responsibility that God gives to us is get your life established on the word. Because when you get the word built up on the inside of you, when you start to create a new reality that looks like the word, we become the word made flesh. And when we become the word made flesh, we put ourselves at a place where the spirit can come upon the word. The anointing can come upon the word. And as we do that, and as we speak that word into places, as we act on that word, things begin to happen. It's not because of me. It's not because I'm great. It's not because I go to church. It's not because I read my Bible every day. All of those things may have importance. The point of it is this. The, the call and the responsibility that we have is to establish the word on the inside of our lives. Work in collaboration with the Holy Spirit to get the word established on the inside of us. Because when the word is on the inside of us, it redefines who I am. It redefines how I see people. It redefines how I look at life. It redefines my expectations of life. It puts me at a place where I sit and say, what is it that I really want? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then you have critics out there like, well, that's just a ridiculous thing because all things, what are you going to say? You're going to jump as high as the moon. Obviously, all things aren't possible. It's not the point. The point that he's trying to make is this. When you linked to the kingdom, when you linked to the word, and your life is informed through the word, create the expectations in you. When the word creates expectations in you, you don't do dumb things. Gee, I wish I could jump to the moon. What it's saying is, when, the, when your life is informed by the word, 
You will understand what it is that you should be doing. And all of those possibilities are available to you because you're able to step into belief between you and God. The easiest way to sabotage our life is to contaminate our beliefs. Be careful. Be guarded about your journey through life. Don't allow the circumstances and situations to give definition to you. That's God's prerogative. That's the prerogative of the word. God wants to get that established on the inside of us. Because God wants to partner with us. God wants to elevate our expectation of life. God wants to raise the profile of what it is that we're looking to do in life. God is sitting saying, you know, let's raise the bar of different things. Because I want to partner with you so that you and I can have influence. So that people around you can sit and say, you know what, I see the glory. It's not about you. It's not about the flesh. It's about the word. We call to something greater than ourselves. We call to have influence in a world that's sitting saying, we really don't know what truth is. And we're in the process of trying to give definition to that. And all too often, because they can't define it, they make it subjective. You can make it anything that you would like to be. And so it empowers beliefs within us that are not always congruent with the word. And we get ourselves stuck in places that are outside of God's design. And we find it difficult to work with God in those areas of our life because I'm running over here and he's calling us to be over there. All things are possible to him who believes. When Jesus died, Jesus became Savior and Lord. And what he invites us into is making making him both Savior and Lord. You see, when you make him Savior... He introduces you to the word and you are made new. When you make him Lord, he gets you established in the word and it changes your life. Both of them are important. One of them has to do with your spirit. The other one has to do with renewing your mind. 